You're listening to the Father's House Podcast. We're in Owensboro, Kentucky. Hope you guys enjoy. If you guys want more information, you can go to thefathershouseky.com. Good morning. Good morning. Um, Thank you, Pastor Mike. It is an honor um, to get to minister in our church in this capacity. I said it the first time that I spoke here, and I'll say it again, that I don't take it lightly. Um, I'm so grateful to the Lord for this opportunity, and I also do it with great reverence. Um, And can I just say, too, one of the things, Pastor Mike, you were saying, I had a word earlier when you were asking that we would see the Lord rightly. The scripture that came to my heart is Ephesians 1, 17, where Paul is praying for this church. And he says this, I keep asking, everyone say, keep asking, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom. Everyone say Wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So that's my prayer this morning. That's what I'm prophesying over this church and I'm believing that this is coming for us, that there is a spirit of revelation and a spirit of wisdom that we will operate in that will allow us to know him better and more fully. So let's pray that out right now. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word that is alive and active, that is applicable to us today. Lord, we thank you, God, that this church will be a place where the spirit of revelation and a spirit of wisdom so that we will know you better. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. Okay, well, you know, we've had a big moment in our church this last month. And to some, it might have just seemed like a vote Um, But there was something supernatural attached to that vote. And when I was praying for our church, I was asking the Lord, what's next? What's next? And he kept saying to me, he kept saying, protect the unity. Protect the unity. And so it just kept coming. I'm like, well, I don't know what that means, God. So show me what that means. What does it mean to protect the unity? And it's actually a Bible verse. I love whenever he does that. That's the largest revelation that we have is in the word of God. And so, protect the unity, protect the unity, and he sent me to Ephesians chapter 4, so we're going to be hanging out there today, and we're going to look at how do we protect the unity, because we're moving into a new season, church. We're moving into a new season, something that the Father's house, nor Good Shepherd, has experienced, and I'm so excited about what God's going to do, but there's a calling on us to protect the unity as we're moving forward. So we're going to go into Ephesians chapter 4. Pastor Mike, did we get the scripture or did I send it too late? Should be good. Okay. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 through 6. Here we go. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. 
Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray even now that we'd be giving a spirit of revelation. Speak to us in Jesus' name. So the first thing that we should note in this scripture is that it says to maintain the unity. What does that mean? To maintain something, you already have it. It has been given to us. And this scripture goes down to say that it's been given to us already because we have all of these things in common. We have one spirit, one calling, one hope, one Lord, one faith. These things have been given to us. And so it is our job, it is our, our responsibility to now protect and maintain the unity that God has gifted us. Everyone say maintain it. Now, this is, how do we do that? The first, the first point that I'm going to make is that we have to operate in awareness. Operate in awareness. So first, the recognition that we've been given a gift of unity. But two, one of the things that we have to recognize is that the enemy wants nothing more than to destroy that unity. Has anyone heard the verse um, that says, Paul's talking, he says, I don't want you to be unaware of the schemes of the enemy. I don't want you to be unaware. Well, that whole, I was, you know, thinking about that verse the other day and mulling over it, and I was thinking about it as far as like different temptations. But the Lord revealed to me the context of that is not about these temptations necessarily to fall into some grave sin. The temptation was to live in unforgiveness and disunity. So then Paul says, do not be, don't fall for it. Do not be unaware of the scheme of the enemy. He wants to come and to divide. Later in Ephesians 4, Paul also says that do not let the devil get a foothold. Again, the context is forgiveness and unity. We cannot be unaware that the enemy wants to divide us, and not just us as a body, but also us in our households. There's a calling on unity for this house, but for each individual home and family that is represented, there's a call for unity. A call for unity between husband and wife and their parenting. A call for unity amongst children and their parents. And the enemy wants to divide that so that he can get a foothold. And if he gets a foothold, then bitterness rises up. Then unforgiveness rises up. Then critical thinking. Y'all, I have been there. Where every time that I wanted to approach and move forward and approach the Lord, that all I could think of was critically. How he didn't show up for me in this area of my life or how I thought he didn't. How so-and-so shouldn't operate like this. A few years ago, about a year and a half ago, maybe I was asked to come to a meeting with um, someone who I deeply respect, but I just heard of in the community. 
And he brought me into his office with another person on his staff, and they were just talking about their ministry. They ministered to marriages. And I I just didn't know why he asked me to come. So I'm sitting there, and I thought that we were just going to talk, like maybe it was going to be a sales pitch, you know? And he looked at me, and he said, Lauren, what's the vision that God has given you? How can we help make that happen? There was this thing that happened on me in that moment where I immediately thought, what do you want? You want something from me, or you're looking for a way to take advantage. That's where my heart went. Why? Because I was still operating in unforgiveness in another area of my life. And so then when somebody comes in legitimately who was trying to honor and love and bless me, my mind went to, what's in this for you? That's how the devil gets a foothold. Because do you know what I did after that meeting? Nothing. I said, I don't know what you can do for me. Because I thought for sure that he was just trying to bamboozle me. Listen, if you're sitting in church and when someone is speaking, you're thinking, hmm, I don't know about them. I wonder. I can't receive that word from them because I know how they operate with their kids. There's some bitterness that's taken root. And we will not be a church that lets the enemy get a foothold. Everyone say amen. Amen. So the first one is to operate in awareness. The second, operate in humility. So in verse 4, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 2 in Ephesians, it says, Be completely humble and gentle. God's given us the answer. How do we protect the unity? Be completely humble and gentle. So humility is not thinking of yourself more highly than you ought. Humility is also valuing others above ourselves. My husband's not in here today because he's uh, helping with security and the kids because he's tough and buff, you know? And um, that's right, y'all. That's right. I love him so much. Um, So I told him I'd talk about him, but he said nothing bad. But um, he really is a humble man, and I'm so grateful. And this is the example of something that I just rejoiced in this week. Can you share and rejoice with me? Um, So Thursday morning, I woke up, and as soon as I opened my eyes, I remembered that I did not have creamer for my coffee. You know, and um, my daughter has taken to coffee recently and she's been sneaking it. And so my creamer was gone. And as soon as I opened my eyes, because I thought, I'll get it, I'll get it, I'll get it on Wednesday. And it just never happened. And so I looked over at my husband and I said, babe, I don't have any creamer. We haven't even gotten out of bed yet. Do you know what this guy does? He puts on his shoes. And this man works, y'all. He works, right? Yeah, he does. He works. He works, and he works hard, and he's been out of town, and he puts on his shoes, and he drives to the store at 7 a.m. and gets my creamer. Isn't that glory? Glory. That's right. He goes to get my creamer for me. Listen, this guy doesn't even drink coffee. 
He has no use for this half and half. He is not looking to get anything out of this trip. He is just looking to put my needs, my wants, my preferences above his own. He didn't even eat breakfast that morning. There's something that's attached to that type of service. When it's not about what can I do or how does this inconvenience me, but it's about putting someone else's needs above our own. Pastor Faith talked about being inconvenienced. If we could just reframe it and say, Lord, I want to be inconvenienced if it means serving your people well. The other part of humility, though, in that verse, it's not just humility about viewing others. and valuing others above ourselves, but it's also about recognizing who we are in comparison to our creator and our savior. If we're going to be protecting the unity, there has to be this humble approach that we have to our father. This recognition that we were undeserving That he was holy from the beginning of time. He didn't just make himself holy. He was already holy. And we come on the scene and we were not. We have done everything possible to be deserving of hell. And he said, I don't want that for you. So he sent his son Jesus. The greatest gift of all who lived a perfect life, died on the cross, shed innocent blood so that we could have access to our Father. If we want to protect the unity, we have to understand who he is and who we are. Because when I, I can't hold on to offense, and we'll have plenty of opportunities in the church, y'all, and in our households. I can't hold on to offense when I realize that I'm the greatest offender. Paul said, I'm the greatest of all sinners. There was this posture that he had of humility, of recognizing, I have no right to hold on to offense or to unforgiveness or to bitterness. There was a posture of humility. So if we're protecting the unity in this house, we will operate in awareness and operate in humility. Let's move on. Number three. This is where we're going to spend some time, y'all. We're going to operate in forgiveness. Four, chapter four, verse two. When it says, be completely humble and gentle, then the NIV says, be patient. Another version says, be long-suffering. Long-suffering equals being forgiving. Y'all, this is going to be hard. Forgiveness does not come easily, but we've been forgiven, right? So we did it just die. Okay, we're good. We're good? It's the bottom thing? Yeah, okay. So let's look at forgiveness. Um, I, I work, I have the opportunity of working with people every day and talking to people every day and being on the ins and the outs of their junk. And so when I talk about forgiveness, I... I know that this can be really painful, and I don't say it lightly. I have seen and heard of some of the most traumatic things that anyone could ever experience. 
I have wept with people on the floor in my office as they've recounted their trauma and named their offender to me. And so to forgive is not an easy task, but God would not tell us to do it if it was not possible. So maybe you have had a large offense and in your mind even now as I'm speaking, you're thinking of someone. Let me tell you first that the Lord is your refuge and he is your help in times of trouble. And he never leaves you. He never forsakes you. So in those moments where the enemy has tried to steal, kill, and destroy from you, God is coming to bring restoration, healing, and wholeness. Everyone say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So forgiveness is actually commanded. At the end of Ephesians 4, it says to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. <sighs> to forgive as Christ has forgiven us. It's an intentional choice to let go. Forgiveness actually means to let go. To let go of bitterness, resentment, and anger. Now, a lot of times what will happen is we will have this moment, this conviction of, I need to forgive someone. And then 10 years down the road, we're reminded of the offense again. And we're wondering why we're still affected. One, it's okay to be affected. To experience that pit in your stomach. That's okay. But to let it have dominion is something else. Right? And so whenever we talk about forgiveness, much like love, I, don't, I didn't just vow to love my husband when we got married. Every day, I am choosing to love him. He is choosing to go buy me my creamer at 7 a.m. Every day is an intentional choice to love. So forgiveness is like that. It's continual. It's perpetual. It's ongoing. It's not a one-time event. I don't forgive the person who offended me and now never think of it ever again. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not condoning. Forgiveness is not excusing. It is not pretending like something didn't happen or like you were never hurt. Forgiveness is an intentional choice to let go. I think of it like this. When I was eight, I got saved. So when I was eight and I got saved, pardon me, y'all, um, I knew that I needed to forgive. So I forgave my biological father when I was eight and I got saved. I forgave him at eight, and then when I was 13-ish, I got like a letter from him. He was in prison. And I got this letter and it sparked all of that junk again, you know? I got angry and hurt and sad and bitter. And then I had to make another choice to do what, church? Forgive. It needed to happen again. And then when I was... Married, I got married, and I thought, wow, it was, became more clear. It's like I was seeing with different glasses, right? It became more clear the actual offense that this man had done. 
because now I'm seeing what it would look like to not take care of your family appropriately. And I had to choose to forgive all over again. And then when I had children and I understood the weight and the responsibility of being a parent, but also the joy and the gift and how much love I felt for them. It was hard for me to imagine that a human being could not feel that way towards me, that my own father would not feel that towards his child. So what did I have to do? Forgive all over again. And each time, if I got mad at myself and said, Lauren, you should be over this by now. You've already done this then I would be sitting there in my self-pity and anger at myself and frustration. But instead, the Lord calls us to forgive, and it's continual. And so I forgave, and I'll forgive again, and I'll forgive again, and I'll forgive again. You know, it wasn't too long ago, I went to, he, um, my biological father passed a few years ago, maybe about five years ago. I went to his funeral, but I hadn't seen him other than a run-in. Uh, I hadn't seen him in a long time, but I went for my grandmother. So she wasn't there by herself, the only family. And um, the pastor, y'all, the pastor said something in, as they're doing the sermon, right? Maddie's already shaking her head. And the pastor said, and he was such a good father, <laughs> Yeah, y'all can laugh because it's absurd. Um, it's that he's such a good father. And even in that moment, there was the opportunity for offense that would lead to bitterness and unforgiveness. Right? In that moment, I, thought, I wanted to be like, what are you talking about? And then I could recount all of the ways that he wasn't. But instead, I made the choice to forgive. And I'll do that in my marriage and I will do that in the body of Christ. I, um, I like looking at scientific research because it typically backs up. If it's evidence-based, there's a lot of it that backs up biblical principles. And so here's a study. One, note this. I thought this was interesting. Forgiveness has not been studied in psychology for until like the 90s. So essentially they said that there's about 300 years of research with no mention of forgiveness which I thought was interesting. And the only way that I could, they didn't really have an answer for it in the study, but the one of the things that I thought of, I thought, because it's supernatural, because you guys don't know what this looks like, because the only way to know what it looks like is to be forgiven by our Heavenly Father, so the world doesn't understand it, right? And so they're starting to study it now, and this is just what they found. People who claim to operate in forgiveness have elevated mood, enhanced optimism. They're not looking at people wondering how they're about to bamboozle them. Guard against anger. It guards against depression. It guards against anxiety. It guards against stress. How do I know if I need to forgive? Look in Ephesians 4 with me a little bit later in the chapter. Verse 31. Let's start in verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Whew. Unforgiveness grieves the Holy Spirit, y'all. 
Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. The fruit of unforgiveness are these things. Bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, malice. There's another verse that says to not let unforgiveness or bitterness take root. It's in Hebrews. Because when it takes root, it defiles many. So if I allow unforgiveness and bitterness to take root, it produces fruit of anger and malice and rage, envy, strife, and then it defiles those around me. So when we're praying and we're asking God to give us clean hands and give us a pure heart, we cannot operate in unforgiveness. We cannot live in a place of bitterness. I want the fruit of the Spirit manifest in my life, not the fruit of bitterness and unforgiveness. When people forgive, this is what the research shows, their responses, what they feel and think about, what they want to do or how they actually behave toward the people who have offended or hurt them, become less negative and more positive over time. What they feel, what they think about, what they want to do, or how they actually behave actually starts to change when they operate in forgiveness. But it does say over time. It's not an instant thing sometimes, y'all. Sometimes it is, and praise God for that, and sometimes it's a process. And sometimes over time, me choosing forgiveness will start to change what I'm thinking about my offender. It says, I mean, y'all, we, I used to think about, there's some people that have a, who have offended me, right? And I've had those moments of replaying what confrontation would look like if I got to see them face to face one more time, right? I would say this, and I would do this, and I would make sure that they knew, and all of these things, right? And I'm replaying the possibility over and over and over again. But what this research is saying is that actually begins to shift if I have chosen to forgive, and my thoughts will no longer ruminate about what I would say, but it would change to be more positive. So as a believer, you know what's interesting is when are we commanded to pray for someone? We're commanded to pray for someone who hurts us. We are commanded to pray for our enemy. Now, that doesn't mean we don't pray for other things too, right? Or other people too. But there's an intentional choice where the Bible is saying, you have to choose this. You have to pray for them. And that was what's going to give you freedom. That's what's going to change what you're thinking about over and over. That's what's going to allow you to get rid of the bitterness and the rage and the anger and the envy. Listen, y'all, if we're operating from that place... If that's the fruit that you see in your life, there is freedom for you. There's a different type of fruit. You don't have to wonder if everybody's out to get you. You don't have to be critical of everyone and always see the negative. 
our thoughts can look more positive, as the research says, right? Our mind can be transformed. That's what the Bible says. Everyone say yes. Okay. So number one was operate in awareness. Two, operate in humility. Three, operate in forgiveness. And the last that we see in this verse, this passage, is to operate in love. It says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Now, this is a different type of love. In the Greek, there are four types of love mentioned. One is brotherly love. One is this romantic, passionate love. And another is this familial love. But this word is agape, which is supernatural. Because the world can have the others. But the only way that we have access, or anyone has access to the agape love, is because the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And so when the love of God is shed abroad by the Holy Spirit, we have this access to a foreign kind of love. It is supernatural. Meaning the only way that we have the ability to understand it, experience it, receive it, and give it out is by the love of our Father. And so when this verse, when Paul is saying, hey, this is how we're going to do it. This is how we're going to protect the unity. You're going to love the God kind of way. You're going to love in a supernatural way that only, the only way you're going to be able to do it is because you're leaning and depending on me. And because I'm giving you a revelation of it through the Holy Spirit. Let's look in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and see what that love looks like. Now listen, y'all. always laugh because we love using this verse in weddings in our culture. Like 1 Corinthians love, chapter 13, it's the love chapter. But it's again, the context is meant for the body. It is not just husband and wife. It is meant to be experienced through the body of Christ. So what are those characteristics? How is God asking me or telling me to love? I'm going to say telling because the two greatest commandments are to love God and then to do what? Love others. Let's see what it looks like. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. That means whenever someone fails or sins and experiences that, the fallout from their sin, we're not rejoicing in that. That's not love. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. One of the declarations we make at the beginning of our time together every Sunday is that we're hungry for the supernatural. This is supernatural. Loving one another like this in the middle of the world that is so divisive and, and looking for any chance to put people against one another 
To be hungry for the supernatural looks like being hungry for loving people in this manner. They, the agape kind of love. And from that place, from that place of love, from that place of unity, that's where miracles manifest. When we see that in Acts, right? They had everything in common. They're having quantania. Quantania is this fellowship, is the word fellowship is what we have in our, in our translation. But it actually means a deep intimacy with one another. Loving each other, caring for one another, one another forgiving one another. And from that was birthed miracles. So let us be hungry for the supernatural, but recognize that there are some things that that looks like first before we get to see sometimes all of the fun and exciting pieces of that. Sometimes the supernatural looks like work. Sometimes the supernatural is being us being made to look more like our father. So we're hungry here for the supernatural. We want to look more like Jesus. We want to operate in a supernatural kind of love. Living and walking in forgiveness. Refusing for bitterness to take root. If we could have our prayer team get ready to come and you guys can stand to your feet. Come on, y'all. Is there a way to get some sort of background music? I don't know what that looks like. Well done. Oh. Um... Y'all, I, I want there to be a time of responding for us. One, to ask the Lord to search us, our hearts, to show us if there's unforgiveness or bitterness, if we're holding on to hurt and we're not taking it to our Father, if we're looking for revenge. And maybe if there's someone in the house that you can think of that you're like, I need to say I'm sorry. I need to repent. Or maybe you just need to pray and ask for help in forgiving someone. You're recognizing that these, the fruit of unforgiveness has been made manifest in your world and you want it out. You guys are welcome to come forward. I'm going to pray. Um, Don't be shy. There's a moment of freedom for some of you right now. The opportunity to not be tormented by your hurt or by your fear or by that need for self-preservation. Father, we thank you. We thank you for a supernatural kind of love that's been given to us. We thank you that you are so quick to love us, so quick to draw near to us. And we thank you that you've given us access to experience that type of love even on earth today with one another in the body of Christ. So Lord, I pray right now that any plan from the enemy that we have not guarded against that it would be made known to us in these moments and in the following week, that we would become aware of what we have been allowing to operate, what has taken a foothold in our minds and in our hearts. God, I pray that forgiveness and freedom would flow. I pray that forgiveness and freedom would flow. 
that you would sweep away bitterness and the fruit that has been planted and that there would be new fruit made manifest in our lives today. The fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. Lord, there's some things only you can heal. We ask for your healing touch this morning. We ask for your help. It's in Jesus' name we pray. If you want to stay and get ministered to, if you want to talk to us, brother or sister in Christ, maybe you need to sit with your spouse and come forward for prayer. Maybe you're recognizing there hasn't been unity in our household and it needs to start there. There's a time for that now. The rest of you are dismissed. Thank you so much for being here today. Oh, 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 o